Chapter Thirteen of Red Gauntlet by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Chapter Thirteen. Narrative of Alan Fairford continued. Fairford followed his gruff guide among a labyrinth of barrels and puncheons, on which he had more than once liked to have broken his nose, and from thence into what, by the glimpse of the passing lantern upon a desk and writing materials, seemed to be a small office for the dispatch of business. Here there appeared no exit, but the smuggler or smuggler's ally, availing himself of a ladder, removed an old picture, which showed a door about seven feet from the ground, and Fairford, still following Job, was involved in another tortuous and dark passage, which involuntarily reminded him of Peter Peebles' lawsuit. At the end of this labyrinth, when he had little guess where he had been conducted, and was, according to the French phrase, totally disorient, job suddenly set down the lantern and availing himself of the flame to light two candles which stood on the table asked if alan would choose anything to eat recommending at all events a slug of brandy to keep out the night air fairford declined both but inquired after his baggage the old master will take care of that himself said job rutledge and drawing back in the direction in which he had entered he vanished from the farther end of the apartment by a mode which the candles still shedding an imperfect light gave alan no means of ascertaining thus the adventurous young lawyer was left alone in the apartment to which he had been conducted by so singular a passage in this condition it was alan's first employment to survey with some accuracy the place where he was and accordingly having trimmed the lights he walked slowly round the apartment examining its appearance and dimensions it seemed to be such a small dining parlour as is usually found in the house of the better class of artisans shopkeepers and such persons having a recess at the upper end and the usual furniture of an ordinary description he found a door which he endeavoured to open but it was locked on the outside a corresponding door on the same side of the apartment admitted him into a closet upon the front shelves of which were punch-bowls glasses teacups and the like while on one side was hung a horseman's greatcoat of the coarsest materials with two great horse-pistols peeping out of the pocket and on the floor stood a pair of well-spattered jack-boots the usual equipment of the time at least for long journeys not greatly liking the contents of the closet alan fairford shut the door and resumed his scrutiny round the walls of the apartment in order to discover the mode of job rutledge's retreat the secret passage was however too artificially concealed and the young lawyer 
had nothing better to do than to meditate on the singularity of his present situation he had long known that the excise laws had occasioned an active contraband trade betwixt scotland and england which then as now existed and will continue to exist until the utter abolition of the wretched system which establishes an inequality of duties betwixt the different parts of the same kingdom a system be it said in passing mightily resembling the conduct of a pugilist who should tie up one arm that he might fight the better with the other but fairford was unprepared for the expensive and regular establishments by which the illicit traffic was carried on and could not have conceived that the capital employed in it should have been adequate to the erection of these extensive buildings with all their contrivances for secrecy of communication he was musing on these circumstances not without some anxiety for the progress of his own journey when suddenly as he lifted his eyes he discovered old mr trumbull at the upper end of the apartment bearing in one hand a small bundle in the other his dark lantern the light of which as he advanced he directed full upon fairford's countenance though such an apparition was exactly what he expected yet he did not see the grim stern old man present himself thus suddenly without emotion especially when he recollected what to a youth of his pious education was peculiarly shocking that the grizzled hypocrite was probably that instant arisen from his knees to heaven for the purpose of engaging in the mysterious transactions of a desperate and illegal trade the old man accustomed to judge with ready sharpness of the physiognomy of those with whom he had business did not fail to remark something like agitation in fairford's demeanour have ye taken the rue said he will ye take the sheaf from the mare and give up the venture never said fairford firmly stimulated at once by his natural spirit and the recollection of his friend never while i have life and strength to follow it out i have brought you said trumbull a clean shirt and some stockings which is all the baggage you can conveniently carry and i will cause one of the lads lend you a horseman's coat for it is ill sailing or riding without one and touching your valise it will be as safe in my poor house were it full of the gold of ophir as it were in the depth of the mine i have no doubt of it said fairford and now said trumbull again i pray you to tell me by what name i am to name you to nanty which is anthony ewart by the name of allan fairford answered the young lawyer but that said mr trumbull in reply is your own proper name and surname and what other should i give said the young man do you think i have any occasion for an alias and besides mr trumbull added allan thinking a little raillery might intimate confidence of spirit you bless yourself 
but a little while since that you had no acquaintance with those who defiled their names so far as to be obliged to change them true very true said mr trumbull nevertheless young man my grey hairs stand unreproved in this matter for in my line of business when i sit under my vine and my fig-tree exchanging the strong waters of the north for the gold which is the price thereof i have i thank heaven no disguises to keep with any man and wear my own name of thomas trumbull without any chance that the same may be polluted whereas thou who art to journey in miry ways and amongst a strange people mayest do well to have two names as thou hast two shirts the one to keep the other clean here he emitted a chuckling grunt which lasted for two vibrations of the pendulum exactly and was the only approach towards laughter in which old turnpenny as he was nicknamed was ever known to indulge you are witty mr trumbull said fairford but jests are no arguments i shall keep my own name at your own pleasure said the merchant there is but one name which etc etc we will not follow the hypocrite through the impious cant which he added in order to close the subject allan followed him in silent abhorrence to the recess in which the buffet was placed and which was so artificially made as to conceal another of those traps with which the whole building abounded this concealment admitted them to the same winding passage by which the young lawyer had been brought thither the path which they now took amid these mazes differed from the direction in which he had been guided by rutledge it led upwards and terminated beneath a garret window trumbull opened it and with more agility than his age promised clambered out upon the leads if fairford's journey had been hitherto in a stifled and subterranean atmosphere it was now open lofty and airy enough for he had to follow his guide over leads and slates which the old smuggler traversed with the dexterity of a cat it is true his course was facilitated by knowing exactly where certain stepping-places and holdfasts were placed of which fairford could not so readily avail himself but after a difficult and somewhat perilous progress along the roofs of two or three houses they at length descended by a skylight into a garret room and from thence by the stairs into a public house for such it appeared by the ringing of bells whistling for waiters and attendants bawling of house house here chorus of sea-songs and the like noises having descended to the second story and entered a room there in which there was a light old mr trumbull rang the bell of the apartment thrice with an interval betwixt each during which he told deliberately 
the number twenty immediately after the third ringing the landlord appeared with stealthy step and an appearance of mystery on his buxom visage he greeted mr trumbull who was his landlord as it proved with great respect and expressed some surprise at seeing him so late as he termed it on saturday even and i robin hasty said the landlord to the tenant am more surprised than pleased to hear so muckle din in your house robbie so near the honourable sabbath and i must mind you that it is contravening the terms of your tack whilk stipulates that you should shut your public on saturday at nine o'clock at latest yes sir said robin hasty no way alarmed at the gravity of the rebuke but you must take tent that i have admitted nobody but you mr trumbull who by the way admitted yourself since nine o'clock for the most of the folk have been here for several hours about the lading and so on of the brig it is not full tide yet and i cannot put the men out into the street if i did they would go to some other public and their souls would be none the better and my purse muckle the worse for how am i to pay the rent if i do not sell the liquor nay then said thomas trumbull if it is a work of necessity and in the honest independent way of business no doubt there is balm in gilead but prithee robin wilt thou see if nanty ewart be as is most likely amongst these unhappy toppers and if so let him step this way cannily and speak to me with this young gentleman and it's dry talking robin you must minster to us a bowl of punch ye ken my gage from a munchkin to a gallon i ken your honour's taste mr thomas trumbull said mine host and ye shall hang me over the signpost if there be a drop more lemon or a kern less sugar than just suits you there are three of you you will be for the old scots peremptory pint stoop for the success of the voyage the scottish pint of liquid measure comprehends four english measures of the same denomination the jest is well known of my poor countryman who driven to extremity by the raillery of the southern on this small denomination of the scottish coin at length answered ay ay but the devil take them that has the least pint stoop better pray for it than drink for it robin said mr trumbull yours is a dangerous trade robin it hurts many a one both host and guest but ye will get the blue bowl robin the blue bowl that will slacken all their drouth and prevent the sinful repetition of whipping for an ache of a saturday at even ay robin it is a pity of nanty ewart nanty likes the turning up of his little finger unco well and we mauna stint him robin so as we leave him sense to steer by nanty ewart could steer through the pentland firth though he were as drunk as the baltic ocean said robin hasty and instantly tripping downstairs he speedily returned with the materials for what he called his browst 
which consisted of two english quarts of spirits in a huge blue bowl with all the ingredients for punch in the same formidable proportion at the same time he introduced mr anthony or nanty ewart whose person although he was a good deal flustered with liquor was different from what fairford expected his dress was what is emphatically termed the shabby genteel a frock with tarnished lace a small cocked hat ornamented in a similar way a scarlet waistcoat with faded embroidery breeches of the same with silver knee-bands and he wore a smart hanger and a pair of pistols in a sullied sword-belt here i come patron he said shaking hands with mr trumbull well i see you have got some grog aboard it is not my custom mr ewart said the old gentleman as you well know to become a chamberer or carouser thus late on saturday at even but i wanted to recommend to your attention a young friend of ours that is going upon a something particular journey with a letter to our friend the laird from paid in peril as they call him ay indeed he must be in high trust for so young a gentleman i wish you joy sir bowing to fairford by your lady as shakespeare says you are bringing up a neck for a fair end come patron we will drink to mr what shall we call him what is his name did you tell me and i have forgot it already mr allan fairford said trumbull ay mr allan fairford a good name for a fair trader mr allan fairford and may he be long withheld from the topmost round of ambition which i take to be the highest round of a certain ladder while he spoke he seized the punch ladle and began to fill the glasses but mr trumbull arrested his hand until he had as he expressed himself sanctified the liquor by a long grace during the pronunciation of which he shut indeed his eyes but his nostrils became dilated as if he were snuffing up the fragrant beverage with peculiar complacency when the grace was at length over the three friends sat down to their beverage and invited allan fairford to partake anxious about his situation and disgusted as he was with his company he craved and with difficulty obtained permission under the allegation of being fatigued heated and the like to stretch himself on a couch which was in the apartment and attempted at least to procure some rest before high water when the vessel was to sail he was at length permitted to use his freedom and stretched himself on the couch having his eyes for some time fixed on the jovial party he had left and straining his ears to catch if possible a little of their conversation this he soon found was to no purpose for what did actually reach his ears was disguised so completely by the use of cant words and the thieves latin called slang that even when he caught the words he found himself as far as ever from the sense of their conversation at length he fell asleep 
it was after allan had slumbered for three or four hours that he was wakened by voices bidding him rise up and prepare to be jogging he started up accordingly and found himself in presence of the same party of boon companions who had just dispatched their huge bowl of punch to allan's surprise the liquor had made but little innovation on the brains of men who were accustomed to drink at all hours and in the most inordinate quantities the landlord indeed spoke a little thick and the texts of mr thomas trumbull stumbled on his tongue but nanty was one of those toppers who becoming early what bon vivants term flustered remained whole nights and days at the same point of intoxication and in fact as they are seldom entirely sober can be as rarely seen absolutely drunk indeed fairford had he not known how ewart had been engaged whilst he himself was asleep would almost have sworn when he awoke that the man was more sober than when he first entered the room he was confirmed in this opinion when they descended below where two or three sailors and ruffian-looking fellows awaited their commands ewart took the whole direction upon himself gave his orders with briefness and precision and looked to their being executed with the silence and celerity which that peculiar crisis required all were now dismissed for the brig which lay as fairford was given to understand a little farther down the river which is navigable for vessels of light burden till almost within a mile of the town when they issued from the inn the landlord bid them good-bye old trumbull walked a little way with them but the air had probably considerable effect on the state of his brain for after reminding allan fairford that the next day was the honourable sabbath he became extremely excursive in an attempt to exhort him to keep it holy at length being perhaps sensible that he was becoming unintelligible he thrust a volume into fairford's hand hiccuping at the same time good book good book fine hymn-book fit for the honourable sabbath whilk awaits us to-morrow morning here the iron tongue of time told five from the town steeple of annan to the further confusion of mr trumbull's already disordered ideas ay is sunday come and gone already heaven be praised only it is a marvel the afternoon is so dark for the time of the year sabbath has slipped over quietly but we have reason to bless ourselves it has not been altogether misemployed i hear little of the preaching a cold moralist i doubt served that out but a eh, the prayer i mind it as if i had said the words myself here he repeated one or two petitions which were probably a part of his family devotions before he was summoned forth to what he called the way of business i never remember a sabbath pass so cannily off in my life then he recollected himself a little and said to allan you may read that book mr fairford 
to-morrow all the same though it be monday for you see it was saturday when we were together and now it's sunday and it's dark night so the sabbath has slipped clean away through our fingers like water through a sieve which abideth not and we have to begin again to-morrow morning in the weariful base mean earthly employments whilk are unworthy of an immortal spirit always accepting the way of business three of the fellows were now returning to the town and at ewart's command they cut short the patriarch's exhortation by leading him back to his own residence the rest of the party then proceeded to the brig which only awaited their arrival to get under way and drop down the river nanty ewart betook himself to steering the brig and the very touch of the helm seemed to dispel the remaining influence of the liquor which he had drunk since through a troublesome and intricate channel he was able to direct the course of his little vessel with the most perfect accuracy and safety alan fairford for some time availed himself of the clearness of the summer morning to gaze on the dimly seen shores betwixt which they glided becoming less and less distinct as they receded from each other until at length having adjusted his little bundle by way of pillow and wrapped around him the great coat with which old trumbull had equipped him he stretched himself on the deck to try to recover the slumber out of which he had been awakened sleep had scarce begun to settle on his eyes ere he found something stirring about his person with ready presence of mind he recollected his situation and resolved to show no alarm until the purpose of this became obvious but he was soon relieved from his anxiety by finding it was only the result of nanty's attention to his comfort who was wrapping around him as softly as he could a great boat-cloak in order to defend him from the morning air thou art but a cockerel he muttered but twere pity thou wert knocked off the perch before seeing a little more of the sweet and sour of this world though faith if thou hast the usual luck of it the best way were to leave thee to the chance of a seasoning fever these words and the awkward courtesy with which the skipper of the little brig tucked the sea-coat round fairford gave him a confidence of safety which he had not yet thoroughly possessed he stretched himself in more security on the hard planks and was speedily asleep though his slumbers were feverish and unrefreshing it had been elsewhere intimated that alan fairford inherited from his mother a delicate constitution with a tendency to consumption and being an only child with such a cause for apprehension care to the verge of effeminacy was taken to preserve him from damp beds wet feet and those various emergencies to which the caledonian boys of much higher birth but more active habits are generally accustomed 
in man the spirit sustains the constitutional weakness as in the winged tribes the feathers bear aloft the body but there is a bound to these supporting qualities and as the pinions of the bird must at length grow weary so the vis animi of the human struggler becomes broken down by continued fatigue when the voyager was awakened by the light of the sun now riding high in heaven he found himself under the influence of an almost intolerable headache with heat thirst shooting across the back and loins and other symptoms intimating violent cold accompanied with fever the manner in which he had passed the preceding day and night though perhaps it might have been of little consequence to most young men was to him delicate in constitution and nurture attended with bad and even perilous consequences he felt this was the case yet would fain have combated the symptoms of indisposition which indeed he imputed chiefly to seasickness he sat up on deck and looked on the scene around as the little vessel having borne down the solway firth was beginning with a favourable northerly breeze to bear away to the southward crossing the entrance of the wampool river and preparing to double the most northerly point of cumberland but fairford felt annoyed with deadly sickness as well as by pain of a distressing and oppressive character and neither criffle rising in majesty on the one hand nor the distant yet more picturesque outline of skiddaw and glaramara upon the other could attract his attention in the manner in which it was usually fixed by beautiful scenery and especially that which had in it something new as well as striking yet it was not in allan fairford's nature to give way to despondence even when seconded by pain he had recourse in the first place to his pocket but instead of the little sallust he had brought with him that the perusal of a classical author might help to pass away a heavy hour he pulled out the supposed hymn-book with which he had been presented a few hours before by that temperate and scrupulous person mr thomas trumbull alias turnpenny the volume was bound in sable and its exterior might have become a psalter but what was allan's astonishment to read on the title-page the following words merry thoughts for merry men or mother midnight's miscellany for the small hours and turning over the leaves he was disgusted with profligate tales and more profligate songs ornamented with figures corresponding in infamy with the letterpress good god he thought and did this hoary reprobate summon his family together and with such a disgraceful pledge of infamy in his bosom venture to approach the throne of his creator it must be so the book is bound after the manner of those dedicated to devotional subjects and doubtless the wretch in his intoxication confounded the books he carried with him as he did the days of the week 
seized with the disgust with which the young and generous usually regard the vices of advanced life allan having turned the leaves of the book over in hasty disdain flung it from him as far as he could into the sea he then had recourse to the sallust which he had at first sought for in vain as he opened the book nanty ewart who had been looking over his shoulder made his own opinion heard i think now brother if you are so much scandalized at a little piece of skulduttery which after all does nobody any harm you had better have given it to me than have flung it into the solway i hope sir answered fairford civilly you are in the habit of reading better books faith answered nanty with help of a little geneva text i could read my sallust as well as you can and snatching the book from allan's hand he began to read in the scottish accent egator ex divitus juventudum luxuria atque avaricia cum superbili in vesere rapier consumere sua parvi pandera aliena cupera pudoram amicidium pudicitium divina atque humana promiscua nihil pensi neque moderati habera the translation of the passage is thus given by sir henry stuart of allenton the youth taught to look up to riches as the sovereign good became apt pupils in the school of luxury rapacity and profusion went hand in hand careless of their own fortunes and eager to possess those of others shame and remorse modesty and moderation every principle gave way works of sallust with original essays volume two page seventeen there is a slap in the face now for an honest fellow that has been buccaneering never could keep a groat of what he got or hold his fingers from what belonged to another said you fie fie friend crispus thy morals are as crabbed and austere as thy style the one has as little mercy as the other has grace by my soul it is unhandsome to make personal reflections on an old acquaintance who seeks a little civil intercourse with you after nigh twenty years separation on my soul master sallust deserves to float on the solway better than mother midnight herself perhaps in some respect he may merit better usage at our hands said allan for if he has described vice plainly it seems to have been for the purpose of rendering it generally abhorred well said the seaman i have heard of the sorties virgiliane and i dare say the sorties salastiane are as true every tittle i have consulted honest crispus on my own account and have had a cuff for my pains but now see i open the book on your behalf and behold what occurs first to my eye lo you there catalina omnium flagitiosorum atque fascino rosorum circum se habibat 
and then again idiom si qui a culpa vacuus in amicitium ejus insididerat quotidiano uso par similesque ceteris efficiabator after enumerating the evil qualities of catalan's associates the author adds if it happened that any as yet uncontaminated by vice were fatally drawn into his friendship the effects of intercourse and snares artfully spread subdued every scruple and early assimilated them to their conductors ibidem page nineteen that is what i call plain speaking on the part of the old roman mr fairford by the way that is a capital name for a lawyer lawyer as i am said fairford i do not understand your innuendo nay then said ewart i can try it another way as well as the hypocritical old rascal turnpenny himself could do i would have you to know that i am well acquainted with my bible-book as well as with my friend sallust he then in a snuffling and canting tone began to repeat the scriptural text david therefore departed thence and went to the cave of Agilem, and every one that was in distress and every one that was in debt and every one that was discontented gathered themselves together unto him and he became a captain over them what think you of that he said suddenly changing his manner have i touched you now sir you are as far off as ever replied fairford what the devil and you a repeating frigate between summer trees and the laird tell that to the marines the sailors won't believe it but you are right to be cautious since you can't say who are right who not but you look ill it's but the cold morning air will you have a can of flip or a jorum of hot rumbo or will you splice the main brace showing a spirit flask will you have a quid or a pipe or a cigar a pinch of snuff at least to clear your brains and sharpen your apprehension fairford rejected all these friendly propositions why then continued ewart if you will do nothing for the free trade i must patronize it myself so saying he took a large glass of brandy a hair of the dog that bit me he continued of the dog that will worry me one day soon and yet and be damned to me for an idiot i must always have hint at my throat but says the old catch here he sang and sang well let's drink let's drink while life we have we'll find but cold drinking cold drinking in the grave all this he continued is no charm against the headache i wish i had anything that could do you good faith and we have tea and coffee aboard i'll open a chest or a bag and let you have some in an instant you are at the age to like such cat-lap better than better stuff fairford thanked him and accepted his offer of tea nanty ewart was soon heard calling about break open yon chest take out your capful 
you bastard of a powder monkey we may want it again no sugar all used up for grog say you knock another loaf to pieces can't ye and get the kettle boiling ye hell's baby in no time at all by dint of these energetic proceedings he was in a short time able to return to the place where his passenger lay sick and exhausted with a cup or rather a canful of tea for everything was on a large scale on board of the jumping jenny allan drank it eagerly and with so much appearance of being refreshed that nanty ewart swore he would have some too and only laced it as his phrase went with a single glass of brandy End of chapter thirteen